as we go through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. As I said, it will be an imperfect chronological order. And today is one of those perhaps imperfections. For you see, there's a disagreement when this event happened. Some think that this event was on a Passover feast time. Others think that it happened at a different feast. I tend to think the second, that it was earlier in Jesus' ministry and not during the second Passover. And I think that it's, um, if I'm right, praise the Lord, if I'm wrong, I said it was imperfect to begin with, but at least it gives a sense of why there was such opposition to Jesus during the final Passover that he was here on earth. And so in John chapter 5, it says this, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So because there's a feast of the Jews, some people think, okay, well, it's Passover. Well, there were a number of feasts of the Jews. Three were required by men of 20 years or older, if at all possible, to attend Jerusalem. One was Passover, the other was Pentecost, and the third was Tabernacle. So one of those times uh, is a feast. There was also other feasts that the men weren't or no one else was required to go to Jerusalem, but people went. We will see later in the scriptures that John, uh, in John, the Gospel of John, that Jesus went to a festival that most of us ignore. Hanukkah, the festival of lights. It wasn't, quote unquote, a biblical requirement as it was in Leviticus, but one that the Jews started observing because of the miracle of the lasting of the oil. And so whichever feast it was, Jesus went to Jerusalem to be there. In verse 2, it says, Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticles. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Now, if you have in your Bibles your translation, you'll start to see a bracket. Uh, some of you won't. Um, and and uh, the reason for that bracket is that verse 4 is not in the earlier manuscripts. Some think, well, it belongs there. Others think that it was an addition. And others think that it was the writers trying to impart why this story is relevant. And so they kind of added commentary. So what I do is when I see those types of brackets, I don't come with up with any doctrine because of the uncertainty. But the reason I'm emphasizing this is that so many people say, oh, well, the Gospels and the, and the, and the Bible is, is old, and there's so many manuscripts, and so how do you know that what was written was written? Because we know. So much so that we even put it in our Bibles. Here's some perhaps question marks. You see, because we're concerned about the truth, and so therefore we place it in. So it may be just a, giving a sense of why this particular passages, and the sense is, is that it says that there was angels' wings who stirred up water, and that created healing properties, and people wanted to jump in the water. 
And so in verse 5, it says, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now, in a time when most people didn't live a long time, 38 years, by anybody's reckoning, is a very long time to suffer with this illness. And apparently, based on what we see, it was, he was a paralytic. He couldn't move his, his legs or whatever. And so he had suffered for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he was already been a long time in that condition. And he said to him, and I love this question, do you wish to get well? Now, a lot of people think that's an obvious question. But I've seen a lot of people who seem to be very content in the circumstances that they're in. A lot of times we'll say, well, you know, when that person reaches rock bottom, they'll change. But apparently my rock bottom and their rock bottom isn't the same. So just because you're in a condition doesn't mean you necessarily want out of it. So Jesus, you know, just in case he wants to content being there, says, do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to pull me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. In essence, he's saying, I'm helpless. My situation has rendered me helpless. Unless I have someone help me, I'm going to continue in this condition. It's interesting that he's still there. You would think after 38 years of failure, because no one was there to put him into the water, that he would move on. But fortunately for him, he did not. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now I want you to notice something. Nowhere in this scripture, nowhere in this narrative, does it say anything about the man's faith. So many times you'll hear people say, well, to get a miracle or to do whatever for Jesus or somebody to do something, you must have faith. When Jesus wants to do something, he doesn't need your faith because he gives it to you anyway. So he didn't do this for the man's faith. He did this because Jesus decided to exercise a miracle. And immediately, not after a period of time, not after he got in the water, not after he went and got treatment did he become well. Immediately he became well, picked up his pallet, and began to walk. Now it was on the Sabbath day. Now most of us, when we read that, think immediately the Sabbath day for the Jews is Saturday, therefore it happened on a Saturday. However, if it's a holy day, like Pentecost, or tabernacles, or whatever, that is also a Sabbath day. So it could have been a Saturday, or it could have been the feast day that they were there. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. I love these guys. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's because of the rules and regulations that they have set up. He shouldn't do this. 
you can search in vain the law. And you will not find anywhere where it's impermissible for you to carry a pallet or a bed on the Sabbath. There are some 630 plus rules and regulations in the law. Not one is about carrying a pallet on the Sabbath. The Pharisees decided that they wanted to have extra rules and regulations so that you might not violate the other 630 rules and regulations. And so that was their rule and regulation. But it wasn't the law. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. Which is, it's not my fault. The guy who healed me, he told me to. And since he healed me, I'm going to do what he said. But the man who was healed did not know who it was. I'm sorry. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I suspect that if I was, had some kind of illness, like being paralytic, for 38 years, my first step would be to Jesus. And I'd just be there. Wouldn't necessarily need to know his name, but I'd just be hanging out with him. Where are you walking today? I'll walk there too. But apparently, he just walked on. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Well, at least he went to the right place. And it doesn't tell us why. I'm going to assume he's going there to thank God. But we don't know. And he said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, I want you to understand something. Just because a person is sick doesn't mean that God has given them an illness. Illness and judgment are not synonymous. There are those, especially back in this period of time, when they did. When you had a problem, either you or your parents sinned. You'll recall those of you who have seen the scriptures, when the disciples ask when Jesus is dealing with somebody, who sinned this man or his father? And Jesus' response was, neither one. It was that the glory of God might be demonstrated. Sometimes God does cause us to have an illness because of sin. But don't automatically assume it. But notice what Jesus does. He said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So Jesus warns him. The reason that he was sick was because of sin. Don't repeat the same mistake. And God is going to do the very same thing. He warns him. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I still don't have a lay on this guy. He just think he would just go on home. He doesn't. For this reason, 
the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. What a sad commentary. It had mattered that the man had been in that condition for 38 years. Jesus should have waited another day. So many times we put up our rules and regulations instead of seeing what God is doing. But he answered them, my father is working into now, and I myself am working. Such a simple statement. For you see, in Genesis it said, on the sixth day, God rested. It never said every sixth day thereafter, God rests. I'm sorry, on the seventh day, not the sixth. On the seventh, so it's not. Every seven days, God decides to put his feet up on the Barca lounger, um, drink whatever he decides to drink, smoke whatever he decides to smoke, and take the day off. God took one day off because he was pleased with his creation. But if God took another day off, this world would go to heck at a handbasket, and you think it's bad now. Because God is working until now. And Jesus is saying, the Father just is working. He's not sitting up in heaven taking an afternoon nap. So the Father is working, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which he was not. Jesus never broke the Sabbath, as a matter of fact. He kept it perfectly. He just broke their rules and regulations. But also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, instead of determining whether Jesus is the son of God and whether he has the right to claim that he is the son of God, they make a snap judgment which is wrong. That he improperly heals on the Sabbath and he calls himself equal with God. We're going to see at the end of the story, even though Jesus performs his own resurrection, they still refuse to see that he is the Son of God. The truth. And the facts don't matter to them. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. 
He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus doubles down. Jesus says, not only do I do what I, what I, that God is working, I'm working. I do what I see God doing. Which is interesting because later he'll do, tell the disciples, you will do greater works than I. Because we might see what the Son and the Father are doing. So he says, what I do, I do because it's the Father that I see doing it. It's the Father who loves me. The Father has given me that work to do, including raising the dead and judgment and to receive honor. Notice how Jesus puts it. They do not honor the Son, does not honor the Father. You see, you can't honor Father God if you don't honor the Son of God. They're inseparable. They are the same. For God so loved the world, he sent his Son. Acceptance of the Son means acceptance of the Father. Denial of the Son means denial of the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Notice, didn't say believes me, believes the one who sent me. Has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but passes out of death into life. You see, as it was told to Nicodemus. Those who believed are not condemned. Those who do not believe are condemned already. Jesus is being entirely consistent with Nicodemus and the Pharisees. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. I think he's speaking doubly here. I think he's speaking to those who are dead spiritually, who will become alive by hearing the words of God. I also think that those who are dead physically will hear the words of God. How do I think that? Because there will come a time when he will speak to Lazarus in a tomb and Lazarus will come out. For just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. That one that's talked about in Daniel, that's the son of God. That's him. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth and those who did. And now I'm going to teach a little more. My Bible says good. And then in italics deeds. <coughs> to resurrection of life, and those who commit evil italics deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The reason it's italics is that's not what in the original. The translators are trying to give you a sense of what Jesus is saying. Now, while I like my translation, 
And I don't know what your translation says. I don't think it's right. I think it properly should be that those who did good to a resurrection of life and those who did evil to a resurrection of judgment. It's not what you do. Because Jesus will say, there's no one good except God. Which means the only opportunity that I have for resurrection to life is because of his righteousness. Because of his goodness. And everything else is simply filthy wrath. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I want you to kind of remember this. Because there's a lot of times you say, well, what will God do in such and such a situation? <coughs> and you may not know exactly in the scripture that you can underline and say, well, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13, it says X. Therefore, we have the answer. Sometimes it's a little sketchy. We're not sure. His judgment is just. God will do the right thing. I may not understand how in the situation, but God will do the right thing. Because Jesus does not seek his own will, he seeks the Father. Which we who are called to be his disciples are ought to be doing as Jesus had taught us to do. Not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus' teaching of us in prayer is exactly what Jesus did in his life and what he's called us to do. To seek the Father's will. Verse 31. If I alone testify about myself, my best testimony is not true. Well, I'll take a little exception to that. He could testify about himself and whether he says, but it's not verifiable in court. In court, in the Old Testament, you had to have two or three witnesses to verify something. So you could say something true, but if nobody else was there to verify it, it wasn't proven. <coughs> Excuse me. And so Jesus is saying, if I just speak about my own testimony, there would be a problem. But he says this, there is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Who is that? You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's saying, okay, my first witness to say that I am the Son of God is John. What was it that John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who was it there who heard the father say, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased? It was John. And he sent, telling the Pharisees, You sent representatives to John and you accepted it for a while until he got really personal. And then you kind of 
kind of hated him too. But he testified about me. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Witness number two, examine what I have done, how I have healed, how I have performed miracles, how I will continue to heal the lame, the mute, the deaf, the blind, raise the dead, turn water into wine, heal from afar, heal from close up, to lay my hands on and not even see. See those things, and they testify, as even Nicodemus said, no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So witness number two. Witness number three. And the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have never heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Jesus is saying, there were those in the Old Testament who heard God's voice. You haven't. Because if you had, you'd hear his voice in me. When I speak, you would know that the Father's speaking. But because You've never heard his voice. You don't recognize mine. But the Father testifies that I'm the Son. Now he's going to really say something that hurts. That one hurt. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They were very proud that they knew the scriptures. They had them on their wrists and on their foreheads, and all over. They had the Word of God in the front of their doors. Wherever they were, they were very proud about the Word of God, and they could tell you what it said, but they obviously had no idea what it meant. He says, and you search them, and you search them. He's telling these religious leaders very same things you've heard from people who are not religious. Well, I read the Bible once. Well, they not only read the Bible once, they read it over and over and over, thinking that there they might find eternal life. They were looking for the wrong theme, the wrong outcome of the Scriptures. Because you think of it, they have eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. The purpose of the Old Testament is not to give us just a story about what happened, but to show us who Jesus is going to be and why we need him. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You see, you search the scriptures thinking, and he said, I'll give you a shortcut. Just come to me, and you have eternal life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you 
that you do not have the love of God in yourselves and have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. He's saying, I am who I am and I don't need your glory. You're all anxious to receive glory from one another. But the essence is that the love of God is not in you. And how more perfect an example of that than a man who had been ill for 38 years. They were more concerned about whether he could carry a pallet than he was healed. Where's their love? Which speaks to us. When we see God blessing someone, are we excited that God has blessed them, or is it, why not me? Or why did God do it that way? Because it's not in the box that I created. Most of us think that we're great if we get outside the box. God doesn't even see a box. Whether you're inside it, outside of it, or whatever. God does what God does. And that love of him should shine forth in our lives. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Boy, he just one after another after another. You are more concerned about what other people say than what God says. And all too often, we are more concerned about what other people say than what God says. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. Whoa, now, now he's really taking the gloves off. Because Moses is the guy. Moses is the writer of the first five books. Moses is the leader. Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the guy that everybody should pay attention to. And so they're saying, yeah, we're following Moses. He's going, I'm not going to accuse you, Moses. And whom you have set your hope. You set your hope on Moses. Moses testified of me. You set your hope on the wrong thing, the wrong person. Have you set your hope on doing good or on God? For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He's basically saying, we both read the same books. You missed it. You thought Moses was talking about this. He was talking about me. You thought Moses was talking about rules and regulations. He was talking about me. You thought he was talking about himself. He's talking about me. But if you do not believe his writing, how you will believe my word. For they were studying Moses and didn't believe 
how are they going to believe Jesus? Because their hearts were hard. It didn't matter what the facts were. It didn't matter what the truth is. And it's not just here that we see it. We will see it throughout Jesus' ministry. And Jesus will go into and out of Jerusalem because of the antagonism of the Pharisees. For they seek to kill him because he breaks the Sabbath, which he does not, and claims to be and is the Son of God and equal to him. Doubly wrong. Now we have one more advantage over the Pharisees that they still deny. And it is a testimony why I believe that he is the Son of God. Yes, I believe that Moses testified of him. Yes, I believe the scriptures testify of him. Yes, I believe in the testimony of John. Yes, I believe in the testimony of the Father. And yes, I believe of the works of Jesus did. But I believe because he rose from the dead. Before the New Testament was written, Peter gave a couple of sermons in Jerusalem where Jesus died and rose again, and people came to saving faith because he rose again. Before the Gospels were written, people like Paul were preaching throughout the whole world because Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe. Yes, because of the testimony, but I believe because he rose from the dead. You find his body in a tomb somewhere. Let's go do something else. Because it's all fantasy. But the facts and the truth are, almost 2,000 years ago, which we will celebrate soon, that he rose from the dead. And we should celebrate that fact, not just on First Fruits Easter Resurrection Sunday, and not just every Sunday, but every day. Because my hope is built on nothing less than the fact of his righteousness, his raising from the dead and his being sent by the father to demonstrate to me his love his forgiveness and his life he gives life because he is the son of god he is my lord and my god and i pray that he is that for you and all of god's people said